welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by Music Information Center Lithuania. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. The music of Agidia Medeshkete lives in a micro-dimensional world of meticulously calculated structural patterns, resulting in a hypnotic and magical flow of sound. Using textiles and Indian raga, we are easily lured into an enchanting musical experience. We had a lot of fun in this video chat from England. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air, and I'm very, very happy to finally connect with you, and your name has been on my list for quite some time, and the Music Information Center is also very excited about this interview. And I wanted to start with a little bit of history, because when I think about the reasons why someone decides to go into music, I like to be sort of reminded, or I would love to learn how music became a real interest for you. And when we think about music, there's so much exposure and so many directions to take. And then I think about sound itself, and I feel that sound is the essence of things. And my question is, when and how did sound become important to you? Um. Well, I think that from my childhood, I was quite creative person. And I lost a dad when I was like a one and a half years old. So I was growing up with my mom. And then she was all what I'm having a job, you know, so we had a lot of freedom with my brother. So and I think that when I was living, so I was having a lot of like a time to explore by myself. And the things what I was doing is all what I was like a creative things, you know, like uh, singing, drawing, doing, creating something like uh, stuff and etc. And we were living at the time also when we moved from the one place to, to a better one, when my mom got a better job. And then we lived in the corners and lies the cellar. And then it was, it's like a yard, which a fountain, which didn't work. And it was like a old brasserie who was selling like, a, you know, spurgos. I don't know how it is in English, but whatever. And then I was singing all the time, you know, like a musical singing on the top of this fountain, doing all this theater musical. And the neighbors, we said to my mom one day, okay, you need to do something, you know, she's like a wild animal music all the time, you know. And my mom, she took me then, it was like a exams in the Grojo Conservatoire, like, a, you know, for the young people. So she took me, okay, because I didn't prepare anything for the exam. She took me and she said, do it, okay, what we ask, whatever, you know. So I clapped, I remember, I sang, I did, we all we asked. And then, voila, music. And my mom was like, all the neighbors, fool, you know what I mean. And when, you know, the, the journey started, I really loved, you know, learning piano, then going to the music school, and then I was playing in the rock band, continuing all these studies. So music was all the time around. And then I remember when the first time I wrote, I don't know, maybe I was like eight or nine years old, and they wrote a, a small piece, and I remember my mom was cooking something, and I was running, and, oh, mom, look, I wrote something. She was like, oh, yes, it was good. Maybe it was something like, I don't remember, maybe a simple song, you know, whatever. So I was so proud of myself. Oh, I did something with the music. So, yeah, I think that, I don't know, Maybe it's coming like a natural thing, the way you're growing up. And even my mom, it's not a musical, you know, she's like uh, doing all her jobs, like an architect. And, and my dad, he was a pilot. So, 
you know, and my brother, he was a sportman, so no one in the house was a singer or whatever. So no music background, just out of the blue, someone is doing music, <laughs> strangely. <laughs> but somehow you said that you wrote something down, and when you wrote the song, you must have known how to write it, so there must have been some education in music even early to teach you how to do that, right? Yeah, but it it was mostly like a piano lesson. You know, you're learning to play piano. Of course, you can see the notes and the structure and, and whatever. And I think that, you know, the way you're composing, so you're not like a... I don't think so that it was like a real composer. It's more likely you're listening to the notes which you're playing and when you're writing down all these kind of things. Then you're creating your own words, something similar and... So it's interesting because you get the experience of sound coming into your your mind and your ears, and then there's this change where you wish the sound goes out from you. So it's a, it's a different direction. It's this wish to understand and connect with the sound, but also you want to bring it out of you. And this desire to get it out get something out. Did you feel anything specific around that desire? I don't know. Maybe it was more like a game, you know, to see what will happen. You know, like accident, why not? You know, just to do it, just for fun, <laughs> without any expectation or... But I remember, you know, when I finished, I was like, yeah, let's show someone, you know. So I was really proud of it at that moment.
That's wonderful. And you know, I was thinking about John Cage's ideas of random processes or happy accidents that can happen when you experiment and try to do things. And I think also there was this definition of music as being the organization of sound. So it is this effort to put the experience of sound into some type of organization. And I think later we'll talk a little bit more about that and organization of sound, but it seems that, you know, there's a wish to put something into some kind of structure or some kind of form so that people can understand it. And then you, you have to make a lot of decisions about what to do and how to do it. I also wanted to ask you about growing up in Lithuania and the question is about culture and you are now, I would say, more a citizen of the world now instead of just one place. And you had studies also in Germany and also now you're in England and there's a cultural identity around Lithuania that may be especially definitive of who you are. But I wanted to ask you about the cultural identity of how you feel as a composer and what that sense of the world means to you. I don't know, you know, I think that it's quite... Uh, because, you know, like, uh, it's quite hard to say what it is identity nowadays, isn't it? I think that if we will go back and explore everyone's folk music, so maybe we can find more identity rather in the nowadays composers. Because, you know, it's like a mixture of every style, different ideas, different culture and so on. And for me, you know, like, uh, I can't say, you know... Because, of course, I am Lithuanian because I was born in Lithuania. You know, it's my identity, at least at least in the passport. And, you know, when you're traveling to and how people recognize you, you know. But I can't because, you know, if you are Lithuanian, should you write something similar to reflect your country, you know, in order to reflect your real Lithuanian identity? Or is it, you know, so I think that it's quite hard uh, question to answer in a way. I think the idea that having to do with decisions that you make possibly from influential tendencies, like how you are influenced. And I think that you get experience from different cultural perspectives, but there may be something of essence that comes from the original identity issue. And when we think about music, we also think about training and relying on the training or the learning, or as we call studies. And you have, of course, formal studies where you're studying theory of harmony, melody, rhythm. And then there are other influential tendencies that you find yourself moving towards. Um, maybe they're not exactly cultural, but maybe they have some inspirational element where they come from. Do you think that you can define or discover, or have you discovered, let's say, the original influential tendencies that you have? Yeah, in, in, I think that in some way, because you know when you are starting to study composition, at first it goes like uh, you're composing in a way that is like a game, you know, it's like a, you are finding new things. But when you're going to music academy to study bachelor as a composer, and what I really liked and what I was all what I'm inspired, it's like a, your teachers, the way they do, the, the way they think, and, you know, what makes them really unique and personal, you know, what we can differ from other composers. So I think that... It was the most important thing for me. Because, you know, like when you're studying with Ritis Majulis, even he does a lot of microtonal things, but he never influenced. He doesn't say, oh, this is the path you need to go. You know, you need to follow my technique or my ideas and whatever. I think that, you know, on the contrary, he was 
opening the path, you know, and letting you to choose your way you feel, you know, without making any pressure. And when you're having a freedom of your choices, so you're listening, let's say, to, to Ritis Majulius, to Richard Descabalus, you know, you're thinking how the way they're thinking, how, what it is important for them, like uh, what it is important to John Cage or Morton Feldman or another spectral composer, because there is a, such a big variety of what you can learn, isn't it? It doesn't mean that you will do something similar, but, you know, it's like a different approaches. And, you know, from this kind of variety, you are able to, let's see, find your way, you know, just to choose what it is important for you and why. So, yeah, so it's exactly the same as the childhood experience. You get all of the listening and life experience, and then you decide to write something in the same way when you're in school, you're hearing lots of different composers and influence. And then, you know, luckily you had the freedom to still discover what's inside of you, that you can find an honest authenticity of how to express yourself that is you and that is uniquely you. Yeah, I think this is the most important thing, you know, because sometimes I am also, you know, when you're listening to the, like a different composer, different music, you know, electronic, whatever, you know, it's it's like a, a lot of, you know, what you can listen to. And you're thinking, oh, this is the nice way, the way probably it goes from one part to another one, you know, but you're learning, you know, from the listening way, you know. So I think that this is the most important thing because otherwise, you know, you, because when you compose, you can't lie to yourself, you know, when you're writing piece and if you're really, really honest so you can see is it good or not, even but the listener, maybe they will hate it or they will say, oh, what is it? Ah, oh, you know, but at least, you know, for yourself as a composer, you will say, oh, that's a piece. I don't want to change anything. It's like a full stop. You know, you're finishing the score and you're, you are just proud of yourself. So I think that this is the most also important thing.
Yeah, finding your honesty and clarity in what you finish is such a such a great experience. You know, when we talk about music itself or music for music's sake and writing for music for the concert hall, there's also in your life a lot of other applications of music. You have written for dance, you have written for film and and animation and do you think differently about sound itself or music itself when you're applying it to another art form? Oh yes, I think so. Because you know, when you're having your own commissions, you know, just to write for contemporary music festival or ensemble. So somehow you can do whatever you want, isn't it? It's free. You're free or like a bird to do whatever you want for music and ask anything from a musician. But when you're doing collaboration like animation or films or whatever, you need to find a compromise, isn't it? Because, you know, the way you feel about the, let's say, visuals, and you're proposing your way writing music. So maybe, you know, like a video artist, they will say, oh, maybe it's too much. I want something more in the background, you know, and it's nothing wrong about it because, you know, this is the way, like a two parties, we want to achieve our best goal, you know. So there are a lot of talks, a lot of sharing, you know, so you're more like to do a lot of compromises and, or maybe they will say, oh yes, I like this beat, but maybe, you know, can it be a little bit faster? please can you add more percussion just to make intensity to make it grow you know so i think that you know it's more like uh, i don't know i am getting like an advisor <laughs> when you're doing collaboration but i really like it you know because i was playing in the rock band for 15 years i was playing with a keyboard that i was a manager as, as well and for example, when it was rehearsal, it was guitarist who, who was coming like a, with a simple idea, like a two bars or four bars of a song, you know, and he was doing like a repeat loop and everyone listening, mm, yes, it could be like that when we talked about it. And when everyone starts to improvise, maybe I can add this one when drums, oh, look, I can do this beat everybody oh yes when bass guitar look maybe this one yeah and when you know like in two three hours you're making creating a song you know based on the from the improvisation but you know you're using your musical skills experience listening and yeah but i think that you know it's really good because you know you're learning different skills what you can also adapt in your music when you're writing you know just for uh, your only commission so but when you write for a collaboration or a project of somebody else's, when you listen to the music after it's finished, for example, does it feel like your music in the same way that you create music just for music? Because it's interesting to hear the process. It's interesting to get synergy from other energies, from other people to make meaning. But when you actually view the music after it's finished, does it feel like it's yours in the same way that you write music for music's sake or music for a concert hall? Yeah, in some parts, yes, definitely. Yeah, of course. So there is some identity. I think the topic in music school was called form and design. So usually we were learning theory and sight singing and of course, always piano. And then there was this course called Form and Design. So it was a way to look at structures of pieces. Usually you take a, a Bach invention or something like that, and then you decide, okay, this is a melody, this is a phrase, and then this is where it's repeating. And then there's a development section, as in, say, sonata form, and then maybe a recapitulation and a final statement. But in general, there's a personal form in a solitary composition where you're thinking in a world of time, in a world of possibly journey or tension and then relaxation. Do you think that you have more control over form when you're collaborating or less control over form? 
I think that I I feel quite all right, you know. I, I feel that I'm quite in control over music and the forms and so on. Because, you know, like yeah, when you're working with a collaboration, they, the way they are making comments. So they do, maybe, you know, they're saying, oh, maybe I need to add something. But, you know, but it doesn't change, like, structure or whatever, you know. They are just adding or maybe they're saying, oh, maybe this it could be a little bit sad or whatever. But the way it goes, you are in charge everything because, you know, you can give them, like, a, another version or a third version and then you can listen and then we can choose or whatever. So, yeah, I think so, you know, composer is quite important, but, you know, the decision... The way we are making decisions, it involves more people, not only you. But when you compose, you compose in the same way, you know, like you would be alone, the way you feel, and so on. I wanted to uh, turn to the topic of the receptivity or the audience, because also when you collaborate and do projects like film or dance or anything else, you may have a collective audience or in a performance you have an audience, in recording music, you usually have a solitary audience, meaning you have lots of individuals listening to your music, usually alone, usually with headphones, and that sort of thing. And I'm wondering, do you have any kind of preconceived intention around regard for audience, or how do you view audience in terms of your creative work? I don't think about the audience when I write music. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> because, you know, like, uh, when I make a structure for me as by, you know, based on the textile, I do totally understand that nobody will be ever heard about this pattern or whatever. So we have zero expectations that someone would recognize. So when I, you know, create all these systems and then when I convert into the music, so what I expect that maybe emotion, idea, this pattern, this structure will go behind these notes and it will involve, it will produce all ideas what I wanted to have it throughout the music. And then, you know, and then you can think, oh, maybe we'll listen and we'll get it or not, but... On other way, you know, it doesn't matter because everyone will have their own opinions.
I wanted to, since you mentioned textiles, and I think most people that know your work know that you're involved in the concept of using textiles and textile patterning as a, uh, let's say, material for organizing sound. And although people listening to this podcast may not know that, at least at first, as they're discovering your work. So this is just one part, I would say, of the content of your creative output is this using the material of textile patterning. But you also have other elements that you're using too. And we'll talk about those next. But for now, let's stick with textiles. Somebody might ask, well, what, what does a textile have to do with music? How does that connect? You know, how do you connect the idea of textiles to music? Yeah, so I did, it is very, very simple. So I just create a, a system which is based on a weave, like, a, you know, white and black squares, which represent weft and wraps. And then I'm making, like, a, creating my own structures for rhythm, for timbre, for harmony, if I want to. And then, you know, throughout this mapping, you are making even a bigger system out of it. And I like it because, you know, in a way it limits my own, let's say, choices, you know. So I know that I will walk like with these five patterns or segments or whatever, or motive or... And then, you know, and then out of it, you just follow the structure and then trying to make it music out of it. Maybe we can focus on the simplicity of the concept uh, for the audience. Uh, what What is your definition of textile? What's a textile? So for me, what I'm using, so it's more about the weaving. You know, like uh, you, you can weave by hand, <laughs> make your own weaving machine, or there are like, a, you know, weaving normal machines in the fabric. So there's fabric that we usually make clothing out of. And so there's simple clothing, which is if, if I bought a green shirt and it was just green, it's just, there's no other colors except green. That really doesn't qualify as a textile. It does. So this is what we're calling a simple or plain weave. So it has one wrap, one weft, and then the connection between these two systems, this is the strongest one because there is not so much, um, let's say, air between, you know. So, and this is the most efficient way to make a weave. And these T-shirts uh, are more complicated. We do have stripes. We do have some overlaying, isn't it? So if you will take this one square, you know, you can start with like a one square, what we are calling a rapport, or it's something like which will be multiplied. You know, like, like your shirt, isn't it? You can see there is one pattern which is multiplication, like a clones of the same pattern. So you can do the same, you know, you can have a small pattern, you can make like uh, the basic things, but then you can extend the rhythm, the harmony, everything, and build from the small unit a whole piece. So you can, you know, have more like a freedom following just one little simple structure. So it's not only about the visual pattern, it's, it's very much about the structure of the weave and the style of the weave and the mathematics that are used to make decisions about the weave. Yes, of course. And of course, if you will think like uh, the same pattern what you're wearing in your t-shirt, it is made probably 100% out of cotton. Okay, so you can have a different material, different softness, different wearness, how long you can wear, isn't it? But if I will use the same pattern and I, if I will use a silk, so it will have a totally different, let's say, result. Maybe it will reflect the light. Maybe the pattern always will start disappear. And another thing, for example, you can have the same weave, but if I will use a wool, you know, like a very, very thin, thick yarns, 
and you know so it will be like big one grumpy one isn't it so you can have more bigger less it will be more heavier you would be like a big true you know already full of a pattern so can you imagine you know when you're thinking about it so you can have you know many things to choose like a yarns the color the threads how thick or thin they are so there are so many options you know as the textile designer you know you can also use your skills And so when you talk about how you transfer that to music, you still have to make a decision about the textile in terms of how you're connecting to it and how you're relating to it and how you're even attracted to it so that you feel and understand some meaningful form about it. And then, and only then, can you say, okay, now I'm going to use this for a musical idea. And so how do you make that connection between the value of the textile and then how do you transfer it to the musical idea? Yeah, I think that it is based on the uh, idea of what you want to do with a piece. And the way, and another thing what you wanted to talk about later, it's about the Indian ragas. Because, you know, the way I'm choosing Indian ragas, they relate to the textile patterns. So also these are two things help me to make a decision why we are choosing, you know, and why this raga and how it can be connected to this pattern and so on. So, you know, there are many parameters involved and one, the way you're making decision. So that's definitely a, a different topic, but it's I see that you have a strong relationship between the idea of Indian Raga. But for the audience to explain what the Indian Raga is, and I understand that there is usually a drone element played by a tampura, and there is a tonal center or a stability and then there is some type of melodic material on top of that. How do you see Indian Raga structure in relationship to the textile? Yeah, so so <laughs> it's, for me, it's quite a simple one. I know that it's not easy to do it, but uh, each Raga has their own time over when you, you can perform it. Is it like an early morning? Like, you know, each hour you can choose and play and perform different Ragas. And different ragas, we do have a own different expression. It can be, you know, some of them, they are healing for mental illness and so on. So, you know, each raga has their own expression. 
And you can also easily relate it to the textile. For example, if I'm making the textile and I'm using a silk, like I did it in the Mehmala. So I use textile, which is quite, I would say, on the limit one, it could be like a mistakes in the weaving because you can't have too long like weave by itself instead of you know, overlap because, you know, weave it will be too loose. So it was like a limit, you know, of a structure, of a pattern. And when I use like a Mechmala Raga, which talks about the rain, about the like a sensitivity, you know, all these precious things. And the same way textile pattern, you know, it is made out of silk, you can use it by silk and it's very fragile and so on. So, you know, you're somehow trying to make a connection between these two ideas. Yes, and so there's also this relationship to the aesthetics of when a raga should be performed and some type of almost spiritual event in the mind. And I'm interested to know how you got interested in raga in the first place in terms of, of an aesthetic or an experience, really. Yeah, I can't tell about like a story how I did it. Probably, you know, when I was doing my PhD, so... Or even maybe before, you know, I was listening to the Japanese music and you're thinking, yeah, it's nice and all these gamelan and other cultures. But, you know, you somehow you're thinking, mm, I need something else. So, and when I discovered Indian raga, so I noticed that each sound has its own emotion. It also, it, it relates to different animals. It relates to different color. It has different meaning. So I thought that, oh, that's amazing, you know, and you can find that it can be so easily connected to the textile. So, so probably this is why, you know, for me, it's quite easy to and when you think of the components, you have textiles, you have Indian raga, you also have the music itself. So you say that you find that the Indian raga connects well to textiles, but how do you form in your mind the music itself so that they actually come together? And what about music itself puts it together? Yeah, but I think so that is the most important thing. It's idea what you want to achieve throughout your music in this piece. And because each time you want to explore probably a different things, you know, so and then each time you're trying to maybe to find only one solution to your this particular idea.
Yes. And this speaks about, you know, what we call the creative process. And it's such a rarely talked about idea. People can talk about their influences. People can talk about what makes them happy about their aesthetic choices. And even the rigor or effort of putting the work in. And are you the type of composer that works methodically on a schedule, or do you need generous amounts of time to realize an idea? Well, you know, I think with the consequences, but where you live, all of the time changes, so you need to adapt yourself. I really just like I miss my time when I was able to walk during the night, look at the skies, not having family, children. Oh, you're having your coffee, you know, and you're going out looking at the stars and you're feeling the nature, your ideas goes wild and etc. And nowadays, you know, you're just, when you got a time, a spare minute for yourself, you're taking like, oh God, thank you for these five minutes. <laughs> but for my, you know, being by yourself. But yeah, I, I found it quite um, that I need a lot of time, but it is real. And when I compose, I don't want to be disturbed. But for me, this is the most important thing. Probably for every composer, you know, when you're really into this work, you know, doing. And if someone is saying, oh, can I have my tea, please? Oh, you know, you need to get up and say, come on, come here. You know, you know what I mean? But of course, what you can do when just leaving your things, leaving your music, bye-bye, my music. See you in, in a soon, in a while. Yeah, but if I got, you know, my personal time, so I would use it. Because, you know, at the beginning when you're thinking about the piece, so you can meditate anywhere, you can do cycling up to the mountains and your head can think about it all the time, isn't it? So you go, can be maybe this idea, maybe this rug, or maybe, oh, maybe I need to think about to change this textile pattern to something else to, in order to connect it, isn't it? So can you at least three jobs at the same time when you're still in the process? But when you're starting writing down the music, sitting on a table, so this is like a sacred moment of yourself. You know, you want to make a bunker, you know, hide yourself, <laughs> self-isolate, you know, that no one would disturb it. And then, yeah, this is the most important thing because, you know, when I'm writing music and if I'm not finished, you know, so my family, we can talk, we asking me something and they're saying answers totally different. You're just, you're feeling that you're not in the same world. You know what I mean? You're not making cooking so good. You're not cleaning maybe so good anymore because you're still thinking, ah, oh, I need to do it. It's still some wire, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic explanation. And I love this idea of composing all the time, you know, where you're living your life, you're always imagining things, you're always taking in these, you know, emotional experiences, and you're probably always thinking creatively during these moments. And then there's that actual writing the notes where it's a very different structure of time expenditure and you're really sitting there and really making it happen. And this must be, I would say, maybe I won't make assumptions, but when you sit down for the first five minutes to actually write down the actual notes, this must be a very different, uh, I don't know, do you find that that's an easy period where you just flush out all your experiences or do you find challenge in that moment no 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 so this is more like a flush out you know just you're bursting all your energy what you just you know had in your head and this is for me it's very important because you know usually i on the first go i'm trying to make a sketch of a whole piece no matter whatever price is it if you're something like this that doesn't matter you know, if you're having like, you know, you're, you're saying like, okay, I got evening like for six hours, you know, and I will do it, you, you know. So then you can really asking, okay, no disturbance. I don't want, if you will ask me, I don't care, but I'm just finishing the first sketch, usually during the first bursting. And then you can leave it a little bit, you know, having like one day out and then, you know, you're coming back and you're thinking, oh, maybe... 
I can leave it or maybe do some changes, you know, then you, afterwards you can make a decision. Yes, and I so much appreciate you really working hard to describe these processes because I feel like when an audience member listens to the music, there's always a sense of mystery in it. And I think a lot of people have questions about how is it possible to create something like this? How does it, you know, what's behind it? What makes it come alive? And hearing all these details, I think really helps the listener connect the dots. And I think it also inspires people to figure out how they can create and you know, it might even give ideas to people of how to connect to something that's important to them. So I think it's a very meaningful focus for the work. And I wanted to also congratulate you on your activity through the pandemic. A, a lot of people really stopped working and I see you have a, uh, a gold medal from the Global Music Awards for um, Malakosha and the Royal Northern Symphonia. How was that experience for you? Malakosha was written for the Contemporary Music Festival in Belgium and for the Intonarumori machines, you know, like a Rusolo machines which were destroyed, but then we were restored by Professor Pedro Basalo. So we brought all these machines to Belgium, which was extremely fragile, which I heard just a little bit. It was zero information about it. So, you know, I wrote for ensemble and internal rumori. And then later on, other ensemble, like a decibel in the UK, they asked me, oh, can you do an arrangement just for ensemble, you know? So we did one more and they thought, yeah, it's okay. And then Royal Northern Symphony, they asked, oh, we got a different, you know, like ensemble, but different instrumentation, more horns, more, more woodwinds, a little bit. And they asked, can you do another one? <laughs> and they said, yes, why not? <laughs> Let's do it. So, you know, and this is the last uh, version of uh, Malakosha because I never, the structure is totally different because at the beginning it was like a, a lot of music is fast, you know, and it was no, not like a repeats. And we were doing conductor all the time, shlu, 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 you know, making the pages. And they thought, ah, it's a little bit annoying. I need to make organize, you know, not to make it every 20 seconds to turn the page. And then, you know, I think that, you know, the way we played it and BBC, we made an amazing recording, BBC Radio Free, you know, and they thought that, wow, I got amazing performance, amazing recording. Why not? That's how I go. <laughs>
what's been happening lately with your music and also what are your plans for the, you know, the coming days? What's on your plate for the immediate future? Yeah, I think that like everyone probably struggled throughout the pandemic because, you know, at first when pandemic started, so we're doing a lot of exercises, activities still at home, you know, full of energy, but you know, during these two years, you can see your energy levels goes down, goes down, your personal mental health, and then you're just at the bottom. When you don't feel, when you feel so empty, you know, you're having zero connection with the nature, you're losing confidence, you know, like a ability or belief what it is in your life, but you know, everything, you know, and... And then at the same moment, I had to write a piece for four electric guitars. And I was struggling because, you know, I didn't have any, let's say, inner power or belief in myself. You know, you're writing music and you're thinking, oh, no, how could you, you know, another version, like millions of versions, you know, asking guitar, can you play like this, like that? And, you know, it was so hard, you know, just to because, you know, at this bottom level, I just put myself like a, in a cage and then, you know, another lock, third lock, fourth, fifth one and so on and so on. You know that you're just making like a in the dark cubic without any possibility to see the light, you know. And then afterwards, I thought that, okay, it's enough. I need to do something, you know. So I am now in the moment where I'm just trying to see maybe the locks are gone, but still it's like a black cupboard. But I can see a small light <laughs> over me, you know. So you're trying again, you know, just like to do going outside, hugging the tree, doing a lot of outside activities, going to the mountain, you know, somehow like restore your energy restore your ability to to hear the things you know so yeah and i got a commission i have to write a new piece for melos vocal ensemble and five cellos so i think that this will be probably a new breakthrough in my career <laughs> maybe after that you will say oh what's wrong with her what's happened <laughs> <laughs> Who is she? Who is this girl, this composer? <laughs> well, we very much look forward to hearing it when it does come out. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. And thank you so much for the investment and the work in explaining all these details. I think they're very important to your work and important to the audience to understand it. So thank you so much for this interview. Yes, and thank you for having me through. It was really nice to talk to you.